Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 as we behold God's living Word. That's page 403 in the Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you were curious where our college students sit, I think they sit right here. So we're missing them today and some of them over here as well. This is a a good day as it concludes the end of the Body of Christ series that we've been going over for the last several months. And we have talked a lot about the body of Christ and what the Bible says specifically about the church and what the church is and how the church is formed and who the head of the church is, whose name is Jesus. We've talked about what the body is responsible for and how we're to care for the body uh, and how we're to respond to worship, both in generosity and in prayer and participating in a meal called the Lord's Supper together and beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ together as we listen to the gospel and behold the gospel week in and week out. As we conclude our series today, we will discuss the importance of when the body gathers under the word. And this is when the body is made visible. We are visible when we come together to sit under the word of God. That is why we are here today. There's really actually no reason we are here other than to hear from the word of God and to consider who God is as we worship him together. Now, a little background for our passage today in Nehemiah 8, uh, which is necessary as we kind of parachute into these texts over this series. After defeating and acquiring Assyria, the Persian Empire defeated and acquired Babylon in 539 BCE. And this, as you remember uh, throughout the scriptures, this is where the people of God were held captive. In 536 is the first wave of a few Jewish exiles who returned to Jerusalem with the permission of King Cyrus of Persia. And they began to rebuild the temple when they came back. Now, there was a lot of opposition And this took several decades uh, to complete. It was later completed under King Darius some uh, several decades later. Well, several decades after the temple was completed, we see a scribe by the name of Ezra emerge on scene. And he was a man of the law, a man of the book, a priest in the house of Aaron. And upon Ezra's return, there began a religious reform. So some 13 years after Ezra arrived on scene, God began to work and stir in the heart of a man by the name of Nehemiah, who is a cupbearer, the king Artaxerxes, also a Persian king. Nehemiah was originally from Judah also, and his heart was set on God's word. We see in Nehemiah 1 that it was shaped and formed by the law. In fact, his prayer in Nehemiah 1 is formed by Deuteronomy 30. Lord, rebuild your people. Let us be a people who dwell with you. After receiving permission from Artaxerxes to rebuild the city, Nehemiah returned, and this is about 445 BC. Despite opposition again, Nehemiah led the people to rebuild the wall in 52 days, and he also helped restore different aspect of Israel's society, including reassembling their genealogies and putting proper order 
uh, in place for the people to do the responsibilities they were supposed to do as the people of God. And so when we get to Nehemiah chapter 8, it begins to uh, converge these two reformer stories of how the spiritual and the communal renewals were occurring within Israel. We're grateful for these two men, both Ezra and Nehemiah. As all is being restored under Israel, the leadership of Nehemiah also included, and most importantly, reform in spiritual worship. And that's really the context of our passage today is the reform of spiritual worship under the authority of God's word. Now, my objective today is in this sermon is to drive home the importance of word-centered worship. Word-centered worship and the importance of it when the people of God gather. You did not come to hear me say anything on my own accord. You came to hear from the word of God because when we say the word of God, God is speaking directly to us. And so we come to listen to what it is that God has spoken and this informs our preaching, this informs our teaching, this informs our singing. So when the body gathers and is made visible, we come under God's authority, under his word, and we're nourished by the word, protected by the word, reminded by the word, and it informs our response and our worship back to God. And this is exactly what's taking place here in this passage. Now, the main point of this sermon is simply this. God's word forms a visible people as we gather for worship. That's why we're here today. The word forms us. And his word reforms our hearts as it reveals sin and reminds us to rest in his grace as we seek to apply his word to our lives. And it should be up there, and it's, and it's not. But God's word, I'll say it again, God's word forms a visible body as we gather for worship, and his word reforms our hearts as it reveals sin and reminds us to rest in his grace as we seek to apply the word to our lives. So that's where we're going uh, today, and there's going to be three kind of sub-points that are centered on corporate worship and what the word does to us when we gather together, when we're made visible. So uh, that first subpoint, we're going to look in the first four verses of our passage today. That first subpoint is this. The word forms a body. The word forms a body. Look with me in verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Now notice that when the people gathered, they gathered as one man. This is, they came together under God's word and they, though many, were considered one man. And they requested that the book of the law of Moses be brought out. This is actually what God had commanded. And the people wanted the law be brought out. The reason they gathered is because they were the people of God. And the people of God are one man. And though we're many members, as we've talked about in this passage, we are in fact one. So they came together for the purpose of the book. 
This is why they had gathered together. Now, we understand that many people gather under one commonality. I, I'm a huge OU football fan, even despite being 6-6 six and six this year. And every time we go to an OU football game and we score a touchdown, there is high-fiving and hugging with people I don't even know because there's commonality in the school that I love, period. And, and we know we go to concerts with people. Uh, many different people listening to the same kind of music. We know what it's like to gather under one commonality. But here's, here's the difference. That's for entertainment. That, that's all burning off. They're gathered under the word as one man to worship the one true living God. And this is the reason that they had find commonality as being a part of the people of Israel together. Now, they requested that Ezra be the man that brings out the book. And he was a faithful servant and had been serving the land for over a decade to this point. And upon Nehemiah's arrival and work, the fruits of Ezra's faithful ministry began to bear fruit. He began to show signs of how the people were reforming back to being or wanting to be under the word of God. Even pointed out here in the scriptures that they asked to bring out the book. I hope every Sunday you come, your heart is saying, bring out the book, just as these worshipers of God are doing right here. And now there is fruit that is bearing. It's quite possible that these people asked for the word to be bring out because of Ezra kind of preparing them for this time of year and what was going on in Israel as they worshiped God. They had at least a basic understanding of what the festivals were in Israel during this time. Probably a basic understanding even of Deuteronomy 31, which Moses commanded the people to enact every single year during the Feast of Booths, which we'll get to here momentarily. When all Israel, verse 11 of Deuteronomy 31, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that you will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing, assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourners within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. As long as you live in the land, you are going over the Jordan to possess. So they had an understanding that they were to listen to the law being read over them. In this little context clue that's found in verse 2, it was the first day of the seventh month. If you see there with me in the scriptures, you see the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar was a month of festivals, a lot of festivals, in fact. And first, the, the first day of the month was the festival of trumpets, which was a time uh, uh, to shout praise to God for his coming and his dwelling with his people. They were looking uh, to God to come and dwell with the people. And this is what's going on here in this passage. We'll see later on in the passage that there's other festivals going on as well. The Day of Atonement is on the 10th day of uh, the seventh month. And then the festival of Booth, Booths, which I've already mentioned here in Deuteronomy 31, is taking place also on the 15th day of this month. So the people are preparing their hearts to worship God, bring out the book so we can know what it says. They finished the wall in the sixth month, 
And they probably got the wall done very quickly because they knew that the seventh month was coming and they wanted to posture their hearts to worship God through the festivals and through the reading of the law. And I, I don't want us to miss this. I don't want us to miss this. These are a people who had largely neglected the word of God that had not been worshiping God properly, that had intermarried with many foreigners, which was breaking covenant with God, taking advantage of his mercy, not being reminded of his mercy, and not allowing the mercy of God to drive their obedience. But now, they were acutely aware that they were to gather under the authority of God's word, submitted there, and to fulfill what it was that the law had requested. So they're obeying the Lord by asking for the book to be read. I, I, I know that there's a lot of different people in this room, and I don't know where you're personally at today in your own life. But are you at a place in your life where you're saying, I want to submit to the word of God? I want the book read over me. I want to know what the book says. I want to submit my life under the authority of God's word. Are you there today? Uh, do you find apathy in your own heart? Do you find um, uh, disinterest in the word of God? Or are you there saying, I want to know what the book says? It's a good question for us to ask every single week. Not out of obligation do we gather, but out of joyous necessity do we gather. Coming to be fed and nourished by this word. Look with me in verse 3. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate. From early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Look what it says in verse 3. Ezra read the law from early morning to midday. And when he opened it, it says in verse 5, the people stood at the reading of God's word. That might be an application for us at some point in the history of this church. If you think a 45-minute sermon is long, these people are standing up for a really long time listening to the word of God. And this really reveals the posture of their hearts. There's nothing else that they want to be listening to. There's nothing else that they want to be doing. They want to sit there and they brought those who could hear, including children, to listen to the word. We see elsewhere in Deuteronomy 31 verses 12 and 3 that children were even brought during special festival times that children would learn to know the word of God and what it says. I want us to see verse 3 again. They listened attentively. Beloved, my encouragement to you is to listen to the word of God attentively, not passively. We need to listen to these words, these sentences, consider these sentence structures, ponder the meaning behind them, rejoice in the truth that is revealed through them, because this honors the Lord. This shows not, not only a praise of God, but great interest in your own soul. Your attitude actually impacts how you hear the word. My encouragement to you is make the decision on Saturday night how you're going to listen to the word on Sunday morning. 
And if you need help in understanding it, pray that God would give you the grace to understand it and give you the attention to bear down and to listen. Come needy. Come hungry. Come looking for satisfaction. That's the posture of these people's hearts, and it ought to be the posture of ours as well. If you're, if you're parents, bring your children, if they're able to understand, come and let them listen to the word of God. Children, if you're of age and you're ready to listen to the word of God, I pray that you would come being eager to listen, taking one or two things from every sermon to consider about God that you perhaps did not know. We have a couple of opportunities in December that we're going to all be gathering together with all of our children La Luz uh, on the 18th and Christmas morning. Come and, and listen attentively there. Verse 4, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. Verse 4 suggests that they had constructed this very event and very platform probably as a day of planning. Ezra had been preparing them for, the, for these festivals to hear God's word, and, and Ezra stood amongst and above the people as he read the word. That's where the word of God belongs, is way above the people, as we sit under the authority of it. Then the passage in verse 4 explains that 13 men stood with him, and beside him stood Mattitiah, Shammah, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Mezaiah, on his right hand, and then Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalam on his left hand. We do not know for sure what these 13 men did to assist Ezra, but we know that they were facilitating him. He, he had a scroll on the stage laid out. I've seen anywhere from probably 30 to 100 feet. And they're facilitating this word as it's being read. And they're helping the people be attentive to the listening and the teaching of God's word. Beloved, when the body is visible under God's word, we are one man. And we are to listen attentively. Just as seen here in this passage the second point I want to bring out is that the word not only forms a body, but it actually reforms a body, as we'll see in verses 5 through 12. We see what the word does in the people, and we see what the word does to the people. Verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as it was opened, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Verse 5 points out that the people's posture, they stood in honor of the word read. And the people's response for standing to the word, it's actually seen in verse 6. Ezra blessed the Lord, which means he held God in reverence before the people, the great God. And the people said, amen, amen. And they lifted their hands and they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The people aren't worshiping the scriptures. They're not worshiping papyrus here. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. We worship the, the God that is revealed and is made known through these scriptures. And their response is quite telling. Because there are people who is unified in their worship. They stand together. They're lifting up their hands and they're facing the Lord down face to face on the ground as they're praying and praising him. 
Their hands lifted represents the fact that they recognize they need God. Their hearts are showing that they need God. Their faces put down are showing that they themselves are not God and that they're relying upon him. This is a really beautiful thing that's taking place in the word here. They are being moved by the scripture. This isn't a state of a union address that we watch on TV where like half the party stands up and they clap for their, uh, their political leader and the other half is down and they're kind of protesting. Everyone is st- standing. Everyone is worshiping. Everyone is praying. There's all unity amongst them. Nehemiah mentions another seven individuals, and uh, these are Levitical uh, priests, or another 13 individuals, and these are uh, Levitical priests, as verse 7 says. He says, also Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Mezaiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Paliah, these are the Levites. And they help the people. Look what it says there in verse 7. They help the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. Though unsure of their exact responsibilities, we do see that they have a responsibility to help the people understand the law as the law is being read to them. Now, the people remaining in their places probably suggest, I mean, this is a great multitude we see at the end of Nehemiah chapter 7. There's probably 50,000 people there. These people were probably mobilized to go out to help understand what the law was saying as it was being read. But I don't want us to miss what it says in verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So the word is not only to be read, it's to be explained so that the word is understood. There is method to God's design for worship here. He he, he wants the word read. He knows the word will do work. He wants the word explained and he wants his people to actually understand what the word of God says. Now, Though it's 50,000 people, this is not like a Billy Graham revival, right, where he just has a microphone and he's able to explain it all. That's why these people are going out. But they, they want, this is a desperate look for the priest to, to go out. They want the word of God to be explained and understood to the people. It's actually a beautiful, caring sight found right here in Nehemiah 8. How do the people respond to this? Well, well, even before we go to verse 9, I, I do want us to consider this. This is why we do expositional preaching, or our best attempt at it, is to explain what God's word says, uh, to, to apply it to our lives, to make sure that we're not trying to fit it into our own agendas or trying to persuade you with whimsical talk or anything like that. We want to read God's word and the desire behind your pastors and your elders is to explain God's word clearly so that you would understand it. That, that, that is our philosophy of ministry and preaching and teaching. And everything, and look how the people respond. Verse nine, and Nehemiah, who is the great governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, "This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, 
For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So the word as it was being taught and as it was being explained and as it was being understood actually did a deep work in the people's heart, helping them to recognize that they were sinners. Uh, we know that the New Testament talks about 2 Timothy chapter 3, that all scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And we see this here. The word of God is actually doing work. Look at the people's response. They understood the word. In verses 9 and 10, they weep. They weep. And the priests say, do not mourn. For all the people wept as they heard the word. When the word is taught, when the word is explained, when the word is understood, the people wept over their sin. They were overwhelmed by all the things in the law that they hadn't done and all the things in the law or against the law that they had done. All these years, they were convicted to the very core. The bottom line is when God's word is read, it actually confronts us face to face with all the ways that we don't fulfill the law. And the word, as it's spoken, does work in the, tra in the travises of our hearts to, let, to help us see where our sin is still living, still active. There's actually a hopelessness at times that comes over us as the word of God is read. And we're confronted with our sin. Can you imagine being Israel? who's heard the word of the law, they've come back from exile, they're hearing the word of the law, and they're coming face to face with all the things that they neglected, all the ways that they weren't obeying what Moses commanded. Our temptation is perhaps our frequency we, we come every single week. They hadn't gathered together in a really long time under the teaching of the word. But sometimes our gathering every single week can actually allow us to be numb to certain things. Uh, we come and it's become kind of a tradition. But the word is to work us over. It's to be made fresh to us yet again. The word is to build us up. It's to reform us all over again every single Sunday. And every time we sit under the authority of it, this is the intention behind God's word. And they were seeing with clear eyes what it was that God wanted them to see. Wanted them to see where they had gone in error. Now, to understand the good news, you really do have to understand the bad news first. You have to understand the bad news first. And beloved, all of us fall short of the standards of God. No one in this room can fulfill the law. Uh, sin has separated us from God Almighty. Have you ever had that moment in your life when you are overcome by your wretchedness? 
When God in his kindness, through his spirit's work, has opened up your mind in such a way that allows you to peer through the corridor of your heart and opening the doors of those chambers to let you see all the ways that you cannot and have not and will not fulfill the law. It's a, it's a, it's a horrifying thing and it's also beautiful to let us know that we ourselves are not the living God. In these moments, all of our apathy burns off. Uh, All of our justification goes and dies. Uh, We're very clearly aware that we need God as these people are demonstrating here in the passage, lifting their holy hands to him. But they are mourning and weeping. But look at the great priestly ministry found in verse 10 from the Levites. Then he said to them, referring to Ezra, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to everyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord and and do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what they reminded Israel with. And so the Levites, verse 11, calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. So as the word was read, the people mourned over their sin. But look at the great work of the priest. They comforted the people with truth. They reminded them of the holy feast of trumpets. That was a day anticipating the coming of God. There's no reason to mourn. And they said to them, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What is the joy of the Lord? Beloved, God is the source of all strength. And Ezra wanted them to be reminded of God's grace given to the peoples, their ancestors throughout all of time. And, And it is now being given back to them. And it's Yahweh's perfect joy and pleasure to be merciful to his people. Let the strength of the Lord bolster you, keep you as you depart. Yes, mourn, but remember it's his delight to save you, to deliver you. He's preaching the gospel to them as they leave. They're weeping and wailing And he's reminding them, no, this is Yahweh's joy and strength to save his people. What hope for us. We come in here with all different types of shattered hearts, all different types of sin that wrangles us, all different types of broken relationships, all different types of hopeless things, all of it. And we weep and we mourn. We weep and we mourn on these steps. And the word of God is to bring strength to your heart today to remind you that it's his joy to save you. Just as Israel is being ministered to here. Now, beloved, in all of our worship, now, there's going to be a mixed bag of emotion, right? There's times where we recognize our sin, and there's a time where we're rejoicing in the salvation of our God. Those things will always be happening as the word of God is uh, read over us and preached to us and taught to us. But the point is that the word of God is to restore your hope by the time that you leave. They're giving us, in a sense, a benediction here. As you go, remember the strength of the Lord That is your joy, that's the joy of the Lord, is your strength. Now, if you haven't noticed, 
We want our entire worship service to be centered on the Word of God because we believe the Word of God is the only thing, as the Spirit works, that it can actually change our hearts and our minds. Only the Word of God can do this. If you notice, we have a call to worship every single service, and it centers us on the Word of God. And in fact, it's connected to the very passage that we're going to preach. Same with the prayer point. Same with the songs that are selected. Same with the benediction that is given. And the attempt is to preach the word faithfully so that we can see that the word of God, the living word of God, does work on our lives as we sing, as we pray, as we listen, as we preach. These are the things that anchor our hearts, that remind us of truth, even when we are weak. So even in your listening, that is an opportunity for you to worship God as you listen attentively to what it is that God is saying and you hold on to it with truth and faith, recognizing that this is true. This anchors the soul, no matter how I'm feeling, no matter what I'm going through. And like good Baptists, the people of Israel, they left the great worship service. In verse 12 it says, they went their way eating and drinking to send portions and to make great rejoicing. They wanted to eat as well. I think we understand that concept very well. But look what it says, because they understood the words that were declared to them. They understood what it was. Though they were sad, they were restored with hope. And then it says they cared for those that didn't have portions. And then they also rejoiced at the good news of God. They cared for people and they rejoice in the good news of God. This is how they responded to worship. Now, look with me at our third and final point today. Because the festival prep and the worship continued. Verse 13, on the, on the second day, the heads of fathers' houses and all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And this is where we get our third point today. The word is, forms a body. The word reforms a body, and then finally here, the word applied by the body. The word applied by the body. So the next day, the heads of fathers' houses returned, continuing to learn from the Levites and the scribes. We see in the Torah that fathers were responsible for instructing their children. This is in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. Uh, we also see in Deuteronomy 16 that before festivals, fathers would come to the scribes and listen to the teaching, and then they would go back to their families and teach what the scribes and the Levites had taught them. So they're just simply now just obeying the law that has been read over them. All of you with children are expected to shape them with the word of God. Just as these fathers, the heads of the houses, are doing. You're to know God yourself, and then you are to train your children to know God. To, to encourage them to obey the commandments of God. Honestly, this is a pretty simple thing. To, to teach them that they actually can't fulfill the law. But one has come who can fulfill the law. And by putting faith in the one who fulfilled the law, whose name is Jesus, they too can be saved. And we get the joy of teaching our children this truth every day. Just as displayed here in verse 
13. It changed my life about eight years ago to think I have a responsibility to know the word, to know God through the word, to have my heart shaped by the word, and then to teach my family what the word of God says. And we're all called to do that. It's not somebody else's job. That's the fathers of these houses are doing this work. I want you to think and hold tightly to that because that is a command that God has and those commands are provisions of grace to his people. Verse 14, and they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive and wild olive, myrtle, palm, and all leafy trees to make booths, that is written. Verse 16, so the people went out, they obeyed, and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. Verse 14 tells us that they found in the law of Moses that the Lord commanded to make booths, and they obeyed. Now, there's three festivals that God gave to Israel to reenact, and this is one of them. It's the festival of booths, and it's on the 15th day of the seventh month. And these were established in Leviticus 23 and then kind of reminded in Deuteronomy 16. But the, food, the festival of booths was on the 15th day of the seventh month. And Israel's households would collect these branches and they would make temporary tents. And these temporary tents, these booths, reminded Israel of their 40 years in the wilderness. And what it was like to fully depend upon God as they were moving out of Egypt and into the promised land. And how God had provided for them in this. Yes, it was intentional to remind them of God's work. But, but more than that, it was to reorient them and reshape them into understanding God's provision and perspective. It's different sitting in a tent, uh, sleeping on the floor, uh, being away from normal life as you consider God's mercy to you. And every year they would come together in this festival, Israel was, would, and consider the booths that they used to live in. It shows to them again who God is and it reorients their worship and it increases their gratitude. So in verse 15, the Levites gave the instruction and then in verse 16, the people obeyed it. So they went into their towns and they obeyed what the word of God said. Beloved, we don't want to just be hearers of God's word. We want to be hearers, but we want to be doers of God's word as well. And not for the sake of doing, but trusting that the obedience to the Lord is good for us. That he actually provides protection for us when we obey. He's caring for us, keeping us from things that are sinful or ungodly. He, he's reminding us of the grace that has been given to us through Christ Jesus. He affects our motives as we reconsider that grace and he deepens our understanding of our spiritual need for him and who he is and his character and what his will is. This is so much mercy given to us when we obey the word of God. Not to fulfill the law. Christ fulfilled the law. 
But because Christ fulfilled the law, we obey what the word says. Verse 17, and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from them the days, uh, or for from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing amongst the people. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. This is during the festivals. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was solemn assembly according to the rule. And all of this was in preparation to prepare their hearts for the day of atonement and recognizing all that God had done for them. The whole of the people, these people returned from exile and now they were rejoicing because they were back underneath the law. They had been away, but now they had been brought back and they desire to be obedient, to apply God's word to their own lives. You know, just like Joshua led the people into the promised land after the wilderness, kind of leading out of the exodus, going into the new, to the new land. So Nehemiah and Ezra were bringing a people, kind of a new exodus, conquering the land yet again, bringing the people back into the promised land. And these Israelites understood what exile is like. They understood the wilderness. They had been out there. This had informed their worship. And if you're sitting there today going, well, I don't know what that's like. Actually, we do. We're not yet in the promised land. We're sitting here in temporary housing waiting for our Lord to come. Waiting for the trumpet to blow. Uh, This is a temporary convocation here on day one. uh, But there is going to be a permanent convocation when the last trumpet sounds and our Lord returns. And we get to see him with our eyes. And we get to be assembled, visible body assembled, under the risen, glorified, and returned king. And so our hearts rest in the fact that this is going to be fulfilled in Jesus. Israel didn't get to see it. We're going to get to see it as the church and all the saints will gather. Well, how do we respond today very quickly? First and foremost, let's gather and submit ourselves to the word of God. If I could just pastor you here, I would encourage you to posture your heart every Sunday to come and to consider how the word of God can shape your life over and over again. Put put to death the self and come and let the word of God have authority over you as you sit under it. This requires that we don't come in passive, but we come in intentionally, ready to hear what God's word says as the visible body of Christ assembles. Number two, let's be attentive to God's word. So yes, let's, let's, uh, let's come in and submit ourselves to the word of God, but let's be attentive to what the, the word of God says. Let's not be distracted. And as the word of God is spoken, that should inform the way that we sing back to him or the hope that we express when we pray to him or or it should inform our listening. We're gonna do, 
our very best job to make sure that all of our worship from very beginning call to worship to the, to the benediction is centered on the word of God. And that's intentional for you. Feast on it. Listen attentively to it. Every song that, is, that we sing, every word that is sung, every scripture that is read over you, grab onto it. Clamp onto it. Be attentive. Number three, trust the joy of the Lord for strength. As the word is read over us, we're going to be confronted with our sin. We're going to be confronted some days with apathy. But remember the gospel. Remember the cross. Remember the, the joy of the Lord is your strength every single day. Let your heart be reminded of God's love for you through Christ. He loves you so much that he provided his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Let that strengthen your heart today. Find joy in it. I mean, this is what, like Israel is benefiting from God's covenant faithfulness. They were away, but God's covenant faithfulness drew them back to the promised land by stirring in the hearts of foreign kings, raising up leaders like Ezra and Nehemiah, repositioning the people back on the holy hill of God, and allowing the people of God to know yet again who their God is, was, is for us. Number four, let's be doers of the word, not only hearers. Let's be doers of the word, not only hearers. Let's obey and apply what God's word says and trust that it's for our good, our joy, and his glory. When the word says something, we want to be faithful to do it, not out of obligation, but joyful response based on the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. I pray that we would be attentive to your word that we would submit ourselves to it, and that, Father, we would hold tightly, Father, to the promises made through it as they reveal who you are and who, Father, um, we are as your people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, set apart. Father, thank you. Thank you. I pray that our hearts would respond now with gratitude as we praise your name. Amen.